I am Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Senator Doug Jones of Alabama cast perhaps the most important vote of his Senate career. He voted to convict President Trump on both articles of impeachment. It could cost him his seat this November, but the man elected to fill Jeff Sessions' seat doesn't care. He says it was the right thing to do. Senator Jones, thank you for coming back to the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Enjoyed it the last time, and I'm sure I will this time. Well, you have had uh, a a momentous few few weeks, and by that I mean your vote on both articles of impeachment to convict President Trump. And in your speech on the floor of the Senate, you said there will be there will be so many that will simply look at what I'm doing today and say it is a profile in courage. It is not. It is simply a matter of right and wrong. Where doing right is not a courageous act, it is simply following your oath. And I bring up that quote because it was it was stirring, um, and I cheered it on in a tweet. But President Trump won Alabama by 28 points in 2016. And according to the Morning Consult poll that I just looked at in January, his approval rating is 60%. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe that, by the way. The highest in the country. You don't believe that at all? No, I don't. I've I've, I've seen a number of different things I don't believe. It's not too far off, but I do believe it's lower than that and what that consult poll is also missing out a little bit is his negatives have been a, in a, in a mm-hmm. gradually growing. So that gap is narrowing uh, considerably. Well, I bring I bring up the election totals and that particular poll result um, to ask just a blunt question. Did your vote to convict on the two articles of impeachment seal your defeat this November? No, I don't think so. I, not, not by any stretch. Um, I think that people, you know, in Alabama, they're going to, it's one thing to support a president and their policies. It's another thing to simply acknowledge right from wrong. And people in Alabama, hardworking folks, they know the difference between right and wrong. They may disagree with whether or not uh, what he did rose to the level of impeachment, but I don't think it seals the deal whatsoever. I think people are going to be looking at my record. They're going to see a record for people in Alabama on kitchen table issues, just like I ran ran on. And that's the message that we're going to get across. And the other thing, too, is I think, you know, people are going to see that vote uh, as someone who had a lot of um, I put a lot of time in it. I put a lot of thought in it. I really this was an analysis that I did. And at the end of the day, I came down and I'm going to be able to explain that. I'll tell you, Jonathan, I just candidly I ran into a. a business leader, and I won't go into details so that people can't really identify him, but he's, I've known him for a long time. He's a Republican business leader from in Alabama and Birmingham. Uh, he was on the plane with me yesterday, and as we were getting off, he waited at the jetway, and he walked me down the jetway, and he said, Doug, he said, I, I just really admire you for voting your convictions, and I want to help you in the campaign, and got the address to send a, a check for the campaign. And I think there's going to be a lot of that uh, in Alabama, uh, we'll see how it goes. How hard was it to make that decision? Because I, I alluded to the fact that I sent out a tweet after watching your your speech, and everyone's given a lot of plaudits to Senator Senator Mitt Romney, who and they should, and and they, and they, and should. they should, but it, because he's a Republican, because he was the the 2012 Republican presidential nominee, um, 
but he's also from Utah. Right. And he's also wealthy. And he's <laughs> someone, for, he doesn't need this job. And he does not stand the possibility of losing his seat because of that vote. And as you said in your speech, you know, people say what you've done is a profiling courage, but yours was the, the more courageous vote because you put your career on the line for this vote. How hard was it to make this decision? It, let me answer it this way, okay? Because I, and I, I've said this to people over the last few days, it was not hard from a political standpoint because I, honest to God, did not consider it from a political standpoint, okay? I mean, I'm 65 years old. I've only been a senator for three of those 65 years, okay? I was a lawyer, you know, so this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that career politician uh, that, that put that calculation in there like that. But what I am is a lawyer, and I've been trained as a lawyer, and I've been trained to do the right thing. I've been trained to, to try to put the best foot forward for the Constitution, and what the founders, I thought, said and what they uh, believed, and, the, uh, and try to put the pieces of that puzzle together. So the difficulty of this, of, of this vote had nothing to do with politics. Having said that, it was still a difficult vote. I mean, you know, I I'm, had to make a decision that to cast a vote to remove the president of the United States, duly elected, despite what a lot of people may say around all that. He was duly elected. He's going to be on the ballot. This was a weighty constitutional issue. And so when I said that, and by the way, the quote that you gave was not something that I had prepared. Mm. It, I, you know, after we made the announcement, uh, which was about 30 minutes before I went to the floor, you know, I started getting text messages. I saw Twitter blowing up and people saying that and whatever. And I'm sitting in the, in the chamber listening to uh, Kamala and listening to Maggie Hassan. And I'm thinking about this and I realized you know, people are saying things like that. And I'm sitting at John F. Kennedy's desk. Now, I already had the quote from Robert Kennedy. And so I'm thinking, you know, this is just not right. I want people to think that I'm some, you know, super courageous guy. I'm just doing the right thing. And so that that was something that I just inserted ad libbed on my own because I really believed it. And I'd been saying it's been consistent with what I've said from the very beginning. I'm going to follow my oath. Both oaths to defend the Constitution and to do impartial justice. Right. And that second oath to do impartial justice was the specific oath that you that all senators had to to, right. to uh, swear to as a part of the impeachment, the impeachment trial, the impeachment process. Did I read correctly? You took hundreds of pages of notes, about 430 close to them, I think. Handwritten. Handwritten. Or you yeah. had a. No, I was. They were all handwritten. Handwritten. Yeah. And what were you? What were you noting? Well, I was taking. It was almost like a stenographer. I mean, when I'm in a trial, my 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 training as a trial lawyer is to take notes because I, I most of my clients never had the money to do like real time transcripts in those days, and so I, I'm writing as fast as I can so that I can go in and, and I can look, I can prepare for cross-examination or do whatever I need to do. And I've got two different kind of pens. i got a blue pen because I always write in blue. And I've, I've got my blue pen, but i got a red one sitting over here because as I'm writing, as I'm listening, something's going to pop in my brain. 
and I'm either going to put a star under it, I'm going to outline it, I'm going to write in the margin a question or a comment or something like that. And so that is my way of just reinforcing the facts. I wanted to know those facts. I had a pretty good handle on those with all the research and that we did leading up to this because we started working on this before it became an impeachment inquiry. We started working on this. And so that's what I did. It was just one of those things to try to make sure that because at the end of the day, I knew however I voted, I was I'm going to be called on to justify that vote. And I wanted to be able factually at, to, to make that argument, argumentatively to make the argument. And the best way to do that is to write it, write it, write it, write it, write it, and not just sitting there listening and start day, daydreaming off. Now, you've also said that the way the case was was laid out, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle where if you hold it up, there might be three or four pieces missing, but the, the picture, picture is pretty much there. Yeah. But you've also said that... Um, uh, I think it's the second article of impeachment, the one about obstruction of Congress. Yeah. That's the one that gave you the gave most me some pause. pause. Absolutely. Why? Well, because I really did not think that the House had done all that they could to get the testimony. I was troubled by the fact they didn't seek some kind of enforcement of the subpoenas. Um, I saw what the president was doing. Um, and I, I really had to lay out the entire chronology. I, I was concerned that they were putting too emphasis, much emphasis on an artificial deadline. I understand the length of time it would have taken to go to court. I understand that there was an election coming up. But at the same time, this was a serious, serious constitutional issue. And uh, I wanted, I really look closely because I am sensitive to the privileges and immunities that executive members, uh, the president and his, his closest advisors share. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I struggled with it. I looked at it. That's why I took all those notes. That's why I asked a question about trying to get together in the accommodation process. And at the end of the day, it was just pretty clear to me that come hell or high water, this president was not going to turn over a damn document and he was not going to have his closest witnesses. And at the end of the day, too, I think, you know, sometimes your common sense comes into play. And at some point with all this, it, it really was not a matter of extending the trial, it was a matter of what are you hiding? What is out there? Because I, I just believe, a, I, be, I believe this president or any president, that if they had exculpatory information that would mitigate that, they'd have trotted those people up there in a heartbeat right? Uh, and, and put them out there and that they didn't. And that troubled me a good bit. You, you said something about the House managers didn't in, enforce, these, enforce the subpoenas. Mm -hmm. What would that have looked like? Like well, sending the Capitol Police to no, no, bring people I, I in? think I think it would have uh, th that was an option for them, but I don't think that that would have been a really good option. But I think even trying to go to court at some point, because here's the thing: you go to court, you file it, you ask for a, an expedited uh, hearing. You don't know what you're going to get. A judge may look at you and say, "Nope, not going to do it. We're going to go the normal course," and here it goes. But I kept thinking a little bit back to um, Bush versus Gore. We had an election the first Tuesday in November. It was hotly contested. There were hanging chads everywhere. People were looking at it. People were filing lawsuits. That matter went up through the Florida Supreme Court and got decided by the Supreme Court of the United States, and we swore in a new president on January 20th. If they can do that, something could have, have, have been done, I think, to try, and if they had gone to court and it looked like it was going to get dragged out a little bit, then make that decision. 
That's what I had hoped had happened. It didn't. I'm, I'm candidly, I'm looking at 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 some things now with a bill that I'm I'm just exploring that we may try to file to try to require that a little bit and give the court some jurisdiction to do things. You know, the 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 real tug is that the executive branch on the one hand says no court shouldn't be involved, and 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 I had a real hard time initially with the House of Representatives saying our subpoenas go. The Constitution says we're supposed to originate impeachments. So essentially anything that goes, we we can do it. It goes and there's not a check. I'm real big on checks and balances. <laughs> You're real big on checks and balances. And yet um, you saw your your fellow senators on the other side of the aisle. My my description, twisting themselves like pretzels to justify their vote to acquit the president. Could you talk about your reaction sitting there on the floor as you, assuming you were sitting on the floor as the speeches were, were, were going on, your reaction to some of the arguments laid out by your fellow senators? Well, candidly, um, I did not sit on the floor. That was another great disappointment in this entire trial because we had been looking at uh, what happened in the Clinton? Hell, hell all we heard was we got to do it the way Clinton was done. What was good for President Clinton was good is should be good for President Trump. Well, you know, number one, they had witnesses in the Clinton case, and we didn't. But number two is at the end of the presentation of the evidence and the arguments, the Senate went behind closed doors. We deliberated. I say the we. I wasn't here, obviously, but the Senate deliberated as a jury. No staff. No record. It was deliberations. And and senators that I talked to that were there said that when those doors closed, there was just this weighty feeling that everybody had. The significance of all this, the partisanship kind of kind of subsided. And there were some really very good and serious arguments. And I was hoping to do that. But instead, we decided to go to regular we, we decided to just go back to morning business like we do everything else in the Senate. We don't debate. We don't talk about it on the floor. I said, I've said before, I said uh, this weekend uh, at Cumberland Law School where I gave my talk about this, we are not the greatest deliberative body in the world. We don't deliberate at all. We just go and we give speeches and then we vote. Uh, but there's no debate. There's nothing. So I was disappointed in that. So I did not hear those arguments. I, I, you know, I started doing other work. So I didn't hear those arguments, so I don't know what all was said. I just I did see Senator Romney's. Uh, and so I don't know how much people contorted to get to their vote. <laughs> you didn't read any any of the stories no. about people saying, eh, you know, he may have done so it may have been inappropriate. Well, I but... saw those. I saw some media reports on that, but not the full thing. But I, look, I knew that the vote was going to was what it was going to be. Um and I knew that there would be, be people, and I'm not going to criticize some people for coming to a different conclusion that he was wrong, but it didn't rise to the level of impeachment or putting the fact that we're so close to the election. I, I'm just not going to go and criticize that like so many people have done. Um, that's, they're they're going to have – they made that decision. That could have been a contortion, but it could have been also you know, intellectually what they really believed. I just came to a different conclusion. Have you been, well, let me ask the question a, 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 a different way. Your reaction to, not the State of the Union address, the president's hour and 
eight minute or so victory speech in the East Room of the White House. I was I was just ashamed for America. I mean, that was horrible. I mean, you know, you look, this was not an easy process. And I've said from the very beginning, I get criticized from it back home, especially with people trying to run against me. This was not a witch hunt. This was not a partisan hoax. This was some really serious stuff. And, you know, a, 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 a victory of some type, you would expect people to say some things. But the kind of vitriol that we heard, calling people names, the doing those things, I, I was just ashamed. Uh, I just did not think, I, I think that was so far beneath the president, um, the office of the presidency, that it's just hard to imagine. But I, I'll just candidly tell you, I, I, I can't tell you that I'm surprised. My uh, a friend of mine and and a mentor sent me an email um, a couple of days ago, uh, where he's basically saying we're in new territory now. And as much as Republicans deride what they call political correctness, my my mentor uh, now calls this the new political correctness, and that is Trumpism. And he calls it. He says it where the credo is clear. If Trump says it, it is truth. If Trump denies it, it is false. There are no facts. There are no correct opinions other than Trump's. Are we in new territory here? Is my friend wrong no, in this characterization? I, I, I don't think he's wrong, but I don't think it's new territory. I think we've been there for two or three years now. I think we got there. You remember, and I said this uh, to a couple of people. I mean, when President Trump was running for office, he was saying and doing the same things. And he had supporters. And he said then, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. And people scoffed at that. Well, people like his style. And so there were a lot of people that I talked to uh, in Alabama and elsewhere. Well, when he gets elected, he'll be much more presidential. He will not do the same tweets. He won't call the same names. He'll. This is a different because that that office and the power and the, the prestige of the office affects you. Well, it didn't. It didn't change. Still done the exact same things. As the Mueller report was released, maybe this will be, you know, his, his moment that I dodged a bullet. Um, I didn't do anything wrong, and I expected him to say that. And quite frankly, Jonathan, and you and I may have talked about this, I was one of those few voices that said, when the Mueller report came out, they said, thank God our president of the United States has not been colluding with Russia. I felt actually pretty good about that. I, I, people that oppose him didn't, but I did. And so uh, but people thought then, well, okay, this was long. It was drawn out. He went through a lot. Hopefully he will learn from this. Well, you know, the day after Mueller testified, he calls the president of Ukraine. And so for those people who were in the media and whatever saying, oh, I, I think, you know, you go through impeachment, he had to learn his lesson. Look, Donald Trump is who he is. People love him for that. That absolutely love him for that. And I do think we're in a different world. And it is a combination of a couple of things. It is him, but it's also, in all due respect to you, I think it's also part of the media, not just the mainstream media like the Washington Post, but also the social media where you people cover different things and they cover that extremism. And once you get it out in the media that much, there's got to be some truth to it. And so I... I fear that we're in a new era. I, I, I believe that. What I'm hoping is that at some point one day, 
um, that there are not folks that take that and have that same control and that same power over social media, that that happens and we move back into era uh, where where facts actually matter and we're dealing with a common set of facts. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest problem now. We're just not dealing with the same set of facts. You hear facts from one group, you hear a different set from another group. I have to ask you a couple questions before I let you go. Big news today is um, the fact that the Justice Department has asked that the proposed sentencing for sentence for Roger Stone be reduced. And as a result, as I'm speaking right now, three prosecutors have four four now have resigned from the case. And there may be five by the time we finish this. You're a former prosecutor. If the Justice Department swooped down and undercut your prison recommendation in the case you successfully prosecuted, would you have resigned? Absolutely. There is no question about it. And I know that there were some people on that team that were part of Mueller's, and so that's going to be part of the excuse. But that was... That was I, I have a hard time believing that was a breakdown in communication all the way up to the up the change. I, I, I've gotten so many texts today from former colleagues who were U.S. attorneys, uh, not just in my era, but others that are just appalled at the way that the, the professionalism in the department seems to be crumbling with things like that. And I, it's still a developing story. But it's very, very disappointing. And you can count on the fact that if we had done the things that were necessary, I was overruled, by the way, uh, sometimes. And that's different. That's just different. You file something, you do. I I would have never completely defied the attorney general or anybody to do something. I could get overruled. Um, And if before I filed, and I understand that we, we have those discussions. But to do what they did today just seems to be, on the surface, horrible. And the fact that all these people are resigning, uh, I think, is a testament to their character and not somebody else's. And it, you, you said uh, it's disappointing what the Justice Department did. But from a, as a citizen, I'm looking at it and wondering, is this dangerous just in terms of the rule of law and sure. the independence of well, I think that I think clearly it is very, very disturbing. And yes, it 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 you question you have to question now is, is the department really working for the people, or is the department working for just the president? Uh, based on what we saw today, based on the fact that we now have an avenue for Rudy Giuliani to give all this crazy stuff, you know, Jonathan. And this, can, can I talk about that just a minute? Go right I ahead. I, you know, that's part of all of this that has really bothered me. And in, in full disclosure, and you know this, I'm, I've, I endorsed Joe Biden early. He's been a friend for a long time. But the whole time I'm sitting there listening to them just absolutely go crazy on Hunter Biden and Burisma and all of these and how bad that seemed to be and how it was a conflict and how this was national security. I kept thinking, now, wait a minute. If I remember correctly, all of this was known in 14, 2014 and 2015. There was really nothing new that came out of this. The Republicans controlled the House of Representatives and the Senate in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Five years, not one investigation. They controlled the Justice Department in 2017 and 2018. Not one investigation. They made a big deal about Ambassador Yovanovitch being briefed in her confirmation hearing. Here's what you could get asked about this. Not one Republican senator asked her about Hunter Biden and Burisma. This is all such a distraction, and it's purely political, and that's what's disturbing. 
you know, the, it appears to me that the Justice Department is now beginning to move in a direction opposite of what, but of the same political bent that the president has criticized him for. The needle, if there was a needle on the other side, it's just moved completely in his favor. And that's very disturbing for a lot of people. Can the United States of America survive another four years of President Trump? We will survive. We will survive. I look, the American spirit is stronger than any one person, uh, any stronger than any one Justice Department. We've been through, look, Jonathan, we survived a civil war, okay? We survived a civil war. And if we can survive a civil war and all the heartbreak, all the deaths, everything that that brought with it, we can survive a, another four years. I, I am absolutely, I have full faith and confidence in the spirit of the American people, their resilience. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, they will, they will see things, they will change things, and people will survive. We will be fine. It is, it is uh, I think, a tough spell right now. Despite the fact that we've got a great economy, we've got it's 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 booming. There's things going good in this country, and that's what people forget. There are really good things going on in this country that are not just the president's fault, but he has to get some credit for that. You cannot completely um, give him, you know, give take away some of the credit for that. But the fact of the matter is, we're 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 beginning to see an erosion of our standing around the world. That really troubles me as we go forward. Our standing in the world, the moral authority that we had is being eroded. And that really troubles me as much as anything. When I spoke about my dad uh, on the floor the other day, I meant it. It's a patriot. And that's what people have to remember. Patriotism is about the rule of law and the Constitution in this country. It is not about a political party or one person. And as you mentioned in your speech on the Senate floor, you lost your father over the holiday season. So my condolences, Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. Thank you very much for coming back to the podcast. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. 